common conundrum of Exodus. It is confronting your preacher once again, and if you know your Bibles, you know what my conundrum is, and that is, this passage is seminal for so many places in Scripture that the preacher that I wonder, where in the world am I supposed to take us right now with a passage like this? Should we spend our time, for example, today considering the Lord's Supper? and how God continues to feed his people. Or perhaps we should spend our time thinking about the Lord's Prayer and the petition in particular within the Lord's Prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread. Or we could think of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness where he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan tempts him to turn the rocks into bread and he quotes from Deuteronomy saying man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Or we could look at John 6, which we already read together earlier. Paul gives instructions about giving based on the passage here. He gives some principles related to giving using this structure. Revelation talks about the one who, to the one who overcomes, I will give hidden manna. There are just endless places that you could take this passage today. Now, kids, if you were with us last week, you may have heard me make reference to an object lesson. We were talking about the thirst and then God's provision of water, and I said that this was an object lesson. And just in case that phrase is a little unclear to you, let me explain what an object lesson is. And parents, if I don't get this well enough, you can talk to your kids about it at lunchtime. Tell them what an object lesson is. An object lesson is a lesson that you learn in a particular circumstance, which can then be applied to many areas in your life. So kids, it would be something like this. So let's say you're working hard and you're preparing for a dance recital or a play or a musical performance of some sort or even maybe a sporting event and you work really hard to do whatever it is you're about to do and you're actually successful at it. So the play goes well, the performance goes well and your parents say to you, now, if you were that diligent with your schoolwork, or with your chores, or when you get older and you have a job, if you apply the same principles to that, you will do well. That is an object lesson. And today, if I can say so, what we've got in front of us is the object lesson of object lessons in Scripture, at least one of the great ones, because it is applied so many times in so many ways in so many different circumstances. You get to look at this one and go, okay, how can I apply it in this circumstance in my life? Or in that circumstance of, uh, of, of our lives. So I can't do everything, but allow me to try and do this. Allow me to try to work through this text today to provide us with a few handles by which we can understand what is taking place here and then try and say, all right, here are a few things of the many that we can lay hold of today and take home with us. And you, and you get the imagery here, right? That's what you're supposed to do with manna. You're supposed to lay hold of the manna, take it home, and use the manna. So work that with, uh, within our passage today. Here's the way I want to structure at least understanding uh, this chapter of Exodus, chapter uh, 16 in this event. Constant grumbling, daily bread, daily walk, weekly Sabbath, perpetual memorial. You see the flow of that? Constant grumbling, daily bread, daily walk, weekly Sabbath, perpetual memorial constant grumbling. The setting for the manna and the provision of the manna is, of course, the same setting 
for the provision of the water that we saw last week in the passage before this one and after this one, namely grumbling of the people of God over a present need. Now it is perhaps true uh, that the need for water that they had was somewhat more acute than one gets the impression that this need for food was, but nevertheless that is the perception. What we need right now is bread. God's people, I'll try and state this as plainly and simply as possible, God's people did not earn manna. Manna was not given as a reward for their faithfulness or for their great persistent patience and endurance in the face of temptation. God did not say, as some parents are wont to say, listen, congratulations, you did really well in school. And we were talking about school last week. Well, you did really well in school. And as a result of this great grade that you got in school, I'm going to take you out for a meal of manna and quail. It's the opposite, isn't it? As you look at this passage, it is exactly opposite of that. Israel is not naturally characterized by faith. They are naturally an unfaithful people. They are characterized rather by dissatisfaction. And in their dissatisfaction, they do this extraordinary thing of sanctifying the past. They recollect the good old days. Now, the good old days weren't that long ago, okay? They, they weren't that long ago. We're not talking like 20 years into the wilderness wandering. We're just a couple of months into the wilderness wandering, so it isn't actually that long that we've been out of Egypt. But do you hear the reflections that they have on the good old days in Egypt in verse 3 when they sat by the meat pots and ate their bread to the full? Now, now was that true? Was that really what was taking place in Egypt? Well, clearly not. But when you're in a bad situation, you look to something else and you imagine either that that place over there is better or that that place where we were behind is better. But this is the worst of the worst where we are sitting now. Now, it is absurd. And I think as the way, in terms of the way that it is written, it is written to demonstrate the absurdity. And I think it's okay if we say that, if we recognize that, even as we're talking about it today, as long as we apply the same absurdity to our own returning to sin again and again. If any of us spend just a few minutes thinking about our own habits and our own patterns of sin, we recognize the foolishness of it. None of us really looks at sin in our lives and thinks, ah, oh, this is a good thing to do. This makes sense for me to continue to do this. We recognize the foolishness of it, and yet absurdly, we keep going back to it. And so we can call it absurd as long as we apply that to ourselves as well. We are all professional grumblers. We talked about that last week. And while this grumbling is directed against Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are standing right in front. Moses and Aaron are clearly in charge. Therefore, Moses and Aaron are at fault. And I'm sorry, I've got I to use the word absurd one more time. The absurdity of saying, 
that you guys, you two, brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness with hunger. As if that was the, that was the grand purpose that Moses and Aaron had in the whole thing. It doesn't even make any sense. But in any case, they try and blame Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron properly discern what is going on, understand the situation, and say, wait a minute, your problem is not with us. Your problem is you are dissatisfied. And in reality, you are not dissatisfied with us. You are not grumbling against us. Take it up with God. God is the one against whom you are grumbling. Basically, here's the deal. You think you were dealt a bad hand. You think the cards were stacked against you. The deck wasn't shuffled properly. And you've got a bad hand, and God should give you another hand. Throw this one in. Give me another set of cards. God is the one you have the problem with and not us. So the constant grumbling that goes on leads to the provision of daily bread. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven. In response to what? In response to grumbling. It says it like three or four times in the text itself. I'm not going to bother to read through them all again. Do what? You should rain fire. Don't rain bread. Just start the fire now. And let's take care of this mess. God says, I'm going to rain bread from heaven. Israel is going to be able to sing morning by morning. New mercies I see. There, there it is. I see it. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me, the grumbler. That last phrase isn't in our hymn, but it should be. This mercy of God, this grace of God, this bread from God, the manna, is undeserved, it is unmerited, it is unwarranted, and it is free. And you want to say, wait a minute, that's not the way anybody should parent. Don't respond to the grumbling of your children. Don't give them what they want when they're grumbling. You're only going to reinforce the behavior. But this is early on. These are early lessons, remember, of faith that God is trying to build into his people. God's displeasure will come. Hold on to the book of Numbers if you're looking for that. And God says, no, I'm going to give them grace. Come and taste and see the bread that I'm giving you. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to work for it at all. Just come, take and eat. And Jesus affirms exactly this in the John 6 passage that we read, and there are so many parallels in there, you'll have to forgive me because I cannot go through all of them. But one of the questions with which the section we started today starts is, is what shall we do to do the works of God? This question from the people, the implication being somehow we've got to earn the bread that you're talking about. We get it. That's a principle. You should earn your bread. How do we then earn this bread that you're talking about? And Jesus' response to them is this. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. The only work that I want you to do is the work of believing, trusting. Manna is thus another of the many places in Scripture where God is saying salvation
belongs to the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. It comes from me. This grace that you need to be delivered out of Egypt and to live day by day is from me. It's all of me. There's nothing that you've done. But lest we misunderstand then all that's contained for us here in Exodus 16, we continue from the daily bread to the daily walk because immediately connected, and if, if you want to follow with me, this is in verse 4, immediately connected to this unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted provision of bread is, in fact, this phrase. You and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Manna is grace. It's all of God's grace. And yet, connected with the giving of this grace is a question. Will you walk in my law or not? We cannot see those two things as antithetical to one another. They're in the exact same verse. In fact, it's the same sentence. Will you walk? How will you handle this grace that I am giving to you? What will your response be to the grace that I am giving you? God did not do this. He did not insert into the Israelites a very long feeding tube. He did not intubate them. He did not set up an IV drip line for fluids. He did not set up a pick line. He did not insert a port into the Israelites. He said, go out and gather it up every day. And this is about how much you should gather for each one of the people in your family. Don't store it up. It won't keep. Don't hoard it. If you try and hoard it, it'll go bad. It has a shelf life. It has an expiration date, and it's a very quick expiration date. Don't hoard it. But it will keep on the sixth day. So on the sixth day... Go out and get twice as much. Don't go out on the seventh day. What is this? Well, this is instruction from God. This is the instruction manual from God in terms of how to use manna well. How to walk well in the law of God. Now, you may look at this and say, well, that's not really law. No, it is really law. That's exactly what God is saying. How do you walk? How do you walk in light of the grace that I'm giving to you, in light of these particular commands that relate to this manna? Will you do what I say or not? This is a training ground, an object lesson, very simple, but that's what it is. God doesn't say to them, well, you're grumbling. Here's grace. Now keep grumbling. That grace may abound all the more. Effectively, what he says is, Stop the grumbling. Stop the grumbling. And again, the parallel with John 6, I, I trust that you can read it later in, in terms of the sections that are in there. But that's what Jesus says also. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you should do. Believe, believe, believe. And by the way, stop grumbling. It's the last phrase. I stopped the reading intentionally right at that point. Stop grumbling. Now, the people, of course, hear these things, 
And when they don't walk well daily, we hear Moses' displeasure with that. Remember hearing Moses' displeasure in here when they tried to store some for the next day? And Moses was angry with them. But we also get the first hint of God's displeasure in this passage when they go out, or at least some of them go out on the seventh day, and they go out to gather. Verse uh, 28, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. I, I won't read further, but the, the, the principle is there. I've told you exactly what to do. These are my commandments and my laws. Nobody should have left their house on the seventh day. What are they doing out there? Constant grumbling, daily bread, daily walk, weekly Sabbath. This is the first mention of the Sabbath in your Bibles. This is the first place. I don't know if we realize that or not. Of course, the Sabbath is rooted in creation. So God rested on the seventh day. And this will be codified for us in just a few chapters to come in, in when we get to Sinai. But this is the first mention of it in particular. Now, did the people from creation have a sense of the Sabbath prior to this? Did they live out the Sabbath, whether they were in Egypt or prior to that? We don't really know. We don't, we don't have a lot of biblical evidence one way or the other. But at least this is the first place where we see it being specified by God in terms of what He would like them to do. And hear this, and I'm not going to go into a long thing on the Sabbath today because we'll have other opportunities for that within Exodus. But it is grace upon grace. Not only am I going to give you food for which you don't have to work, but in addition to that, as testimony to you of just how much I provide for you, I'm going to give you a day off. Structure your week like this and take the day off. Rest. I don't want you to do anything. Now, admittedly, the day before, you're going to have to collect a little bit more, and when you get home, you're going to have to bake it, you're going to have to boil it or get it ready. But on that day that I'm giving to you, I want you to rest, and I want you to enjoy. Now, I have to peek ahead just to Exodus 23. You don't have to turn there with me. I'm just going to read verse 12 for us. Listen to this description of the Sabbath. For six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Refreshment. That's what God has given this day for, this whole activity in which we're engaged right now and their rest that they had there. Be refreshed. That was God's desire for them. And then finally in this passage, we move to a perpetual memorial. Manna was itself, of course, a temporary phenomenon. It was temporary in the sense that it was something you couldn't keep day by day. But it was a temporary phenomenon in the sense that it only lasted 40 years. It was only a provision of God for the time in which the people found themselves in the wilderness. It was not God's standard operating procedure for how He provides bread to people. That, of course, is far more normal. You have your fields, you have your seeds, you sow your seeds, you harvest them at the appropriate time, you do all the work to turn the grain into what you need, into the flour, and you make bread normally. That would be the normal way that God works. But this was a special way that God was working, and He wanted them to remember it. I don't usually work this way, but remember it. Therefore, the instruction is given, take some of the manna and put it in a jar. And take that jar and put it before the testimony. 
Now, this should cause us a little bit of a question, because the question comes up, wait a minute now, there isn't a testimony yet. Uh, there's not the, the tablets, the stone tablets. The law hasn't been given yet. So what do we mean, put it before the testimony? Well, the idea is you take this jar and you go to this place where God is appearing. Remember, you've got the, the wilderness on this side. You've got the cloud here and the glory of God appearing in the cloud. And, and the picture is stick that jar of manna right there. Put it before it. The testimony is from that cloud, the presence of the Lord says this, obey, walk in my law, walk in my ways. And you're standing over here, and between you and obedience to the law of God is this jar of manna, this jar of grace that says to you, you're a grumbler, but I've provided bread between these two things. See it right there. See the picture of the bread. Now, this is a proto-ark of the covenant. So what's going to happen, and this is, of course, going to happen by the end of Exodus, this jar is going to be put inside of the ark of the covenant before the testimony, that is, the tablets of the law of God, and it's going to be covered with the mercy seat, and the glory of the Lord in the form of a cloud is going to reside on top of the mercy seat, but the picture is exactly the same. The only thing that reconciles us disobedient sinners to a God who commands us to obey His law is a jar of manna. Grace poured out from God. And thus, when you look at this, you see that, that, that manna isn't just daily bread. It is. It is the sustenance that they needed for the time in the wilderness. And manna isn't just an object lesson that can be provided in a, uh, that can be applied in a variety of circumstances. It is. But man is a sacrament. Manna is something designed by God in particular to say, through this particular thing, I'm imparting grace to you generation after generation after generation. Down to the Lord's Supper. All of it pointing to Christ, the one who is the living bread come down from heaven. So I think that's our structure for this. So, so, so briefly then, what do we take away from this today? What do you want to take home? Take home about an omer's worth, whatever you do. Just take home an omer's worth of this today. Well, let me start with this. The Father of love has provided manna for grumblers today. Remember in John 6, the Israelites say to Jesus, Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. And Jesus corrects and says, Moses, Moses, my father. Later, look at John 6, and look at how many times the word father is used in John 6. It is a father who is pouring out love for his people, a father who is providing all that they need, and a father who ultimately doesn't just provide bread, manna, but provides living bread, his own dear son, who was standing in front of them at the time. We grumble because we are hungry which is a way of saying that deep inside every one of us 
we're unsatisfied. We long for satisfaction. And yet, in longing for satisfaction, we don't like that feeling, and so we try to, to cover over it, to pretend that all is well with us, that I'm, that I'm okay, that I'm doing fine. Because you don't like to tell other people that you're unsatisfied, and you feel kind of like a failure by saying that I'm unsatisfied. We try to satisfy our hunger with that which will not satisfy. Listen to Isaiah 55. God says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Jesus is imploring his hearers to understand the Father, my Father, out of love, has provided for you that which you truly crave. Do not labor for that which perishes. Don't think that other things will satisfy that. You can't cover it up. You can't assuage well, the thirst. You can't ignore the hunger. Great careers will not satisfy Computer games will not satisfy. White shirts and cigarettes will not satisfy. Sorry, that's a Rolling Stones, can't get no satisfaction illusion for some of you there. They will not satisfy. Even delicious, savory bread that's baked, and I'm very spoiled with that, it won't satisfy. It's not the deepest need that you and I have. Only, only Jesus will satisfy. This uh, Psalm 107 I used last week for the call to worship. Listen to it. He satisfies. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. There is a hunger in your soul that only Jesus can satisfy and nothing else will satisfy it. Secondly, I would be remiss not to say this, given that this is the section of Scripture that speaks most prominently to it, even though it was a theme from last week, and Jesus repeats it again in John 6, do not grumble. Go home and look at yourself in the mirror. Do not ask the question, am I one of those grumblers? I will answer that for you. You are. You are. Go home, look yourself in the mirror, and say to the Lord, show me. Show me the areas, whether I speak them or not. Show me the places in my life where I'm grumbling, because they are there. And say, Lord, forgive me, and Lord, renew me. Surliness is not godliness. Grumbling is not holiness, do not mistake them. Finally, use the means which God has appointed for satisfying your hunger. Use the means which God has appointed 
for picking up grace and walking well. Manna doesn't keep. The grace that Jesus Christ gives to you, the saving grace that Jesus Christ gives to you, is a grace that will last all your lifetime. You pick it up by faith in Him. But the grace by which you live day to day, and through which you struggle against sin like grumbling, by which you find your joy day to day in the midst of the wilderness where there is no food and there is no water, and there are enemies about, as we will see when we get back to Exodus chapter 17, that grace, you got to pick it up every day. It won't keep. You can't store it. You can't say, I remember last year when I was really on fire for the Lord. You have to pick it up every day. Israel, go out, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, gather it up, take it home, bake it, boil it, knead it, whatever you have to do with it. Pick it up. Well, to put that to us, of course, you got to pray. God says, pray for your daily bread. Pray for it. That's what you need to do. Worship together. Sing together. Fellowship with the saints together. Partake of the Lord's Supper together. Use these means that I have ordained for giving you grace. Get out there and walk. Read great books of the faith. But most of all, but most of all, and most clearly of all, perhaps, is this. Man is closer to you right now than it was for the Israelites. In fact, I'll say it this way. Manna is within two feet of every single person in this room right now. It's within two feet of you. You don't even have to go out and pick it up. Here it is. Yours might be a blue covering, brown covering on mine. Manna, it's right here. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. God has provided it for you. The words from the mouth of the Lord. The words from the mouth of the Lord that Jesus says, all of the things contained herein testify to me. You want to know how to get to the living bread? It isn't just a mystical spiritual exercise by which you get to the living bread. You commune with the living bread through the living word that the Spirit uses to show you the living bread. Manna is not far. Read it. Pick it up. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Study it. Apply it to your lives. I guarantee you, no one in here would accidentally go a day without eating. You might intentionally, for some reason, go a day without eating. Spiritual reason, you're fasting, getting ready for surgery. I don't know. You would never accidentally go a day without eating. Why? Because your belly's going to tell you something. Your belly's going to say, hey, whoa, hello. Forget what else we're doing. I'm hungry. I need some food now. Go. Go to the refrigerator. Go to the store. Stop by Wawa. Get some food now. And you will obey. You'll do it. Listen to your soul. Do not let the grumblings of your tummy 
outweigh the yearning of your soul. The soul is hungry for daily bread. And God's given you the responsibility to pick it up. It's not far. You will find when you pick it up that it is sweeter than honey. That it's able to refresh down deep into the soul and satisfy the hungry soul. Your father has given it to you. He speaks to you. The son is the one who is presented to you in this word. The spirit authored it and has created within you a receptacle which is glad to hold this word for you and to make it for you the living and active word of God. Believe it and feast. Let's pray.